the Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. November 11th, set in stone. Now, IG Field, Mm. Blue Bombers host the winner of the West semifinal. Calgary Stampeders traveling to BC Place to face the Lions. But first, Derek Taylor, the Blue Bombers must make a trip west of their own to face the Stampeders. And I have to tell you, I'm super relieved that we don't have to worry about a team with everything on the line playing a team with nothing on the line. That just sounds like a disaster for player safety, entertainment, and otherwise. Yeah, I wonder if that will change the way the Bombers approach this game personnel-wise. Because you're right. Like, if Calgary was going great guns and the Bombers rolled out, you know, their second team, you may get an important depth player for the West Final nicked up. But there's there's no risk in that. And, yeah, the... uh, we're recording this about an hour and a half before the first bombers practice of the week. And I'm curious to see who's the number one quarterback. What uh, does the offensive line look like and, and how, how deep will the bombers go to protect themselves and protect their health in advance of that West final? Well, if you're wondering, and if you're going to be listening to this podcast, say Tuesday afternoon, keep it tuned here to the voice of the Blue Bombers, the home of Blue Bomber football, 680 CJOB. Derek Taylor's got his daily coaches show in addition to the weekly coaches show. And did you get any indication from the coach last night about which way he might go with the lineup? Let's say well, I, Drew Brown versus Zach Kolaros at quarterback. Will Zach Kolaros even get on a plane, Derek Taylor? Well, we do have some breaking news. Does Kyle Milray have a breaking news stinger he can pop in here right now? All right, let's do it. Kyle. Go, Derek Perfect. Taylor. All right. Uh, the breaking news is Coach O'Shea says, wait till Friday to find out. So, <laughs> he, he will always. But so here's here's the thing. Um, the last two years, 2021 and 2022, the Bombers clinched with some time remaining. So we have kind of, we have an example of what, two examples of what the team believes to be the case so uh the final road game in 2021 was at calgary zach kalaros got a few snaps in that game the backup quarterback got a bunch of snaps in that game last season uh there was the final game at home zach kalaros i believe was four of five in that game which indicates he played some but he didn't play anywhere near the whole thing and then it was backups after that so um, the the thing that I think determines, I don't know if it's maybe most, but significantly as to how much Zach will play, for example, is do any offensive linemen need a rest? Do any of Stanley Bryant, Jeff Gray, Chris Kolonkowski, Patrick Newfeld, or Jamarcus Hardrick need a rest? Because if you start pulling one of those guys out, the chances that Kalaris plays at all go down dramatically. Oh, right? for sure. So, so if uh, you want to take uh, Jamarcus Hardrick out for the day, put Drew Richmond in at right tackle. You want to take Stanley out, kick Jeff Gray out to left tackle, and then put Liam Dobson in at left guard, then then Zach's hardly playing at all, and it would be crazy too. It wouldn't be crazy too because those guys are all good football players, but they're not going to do it, right? So, yeah, they 
They haven't given us any indication. We'll know from practice pretty quick. If Drew Brown's taking number one reps this week, we'll know, okay, it's going to be a lot of Drew Brown. If Johnny Augustine is taking number one running back reps, which I think we're going to see enough of Brady to get to that that special barrier, uh, then then we'll know. We'll see very quickly because the Bombers don't really hide much. They don't goof around. There's not the time to fool around with some misdirection for the media on a, on a week 21 game. I guess we'll get some hints from Calgary in a similar time frame. I imagine they're back on the practice field today. And what's your suspicion is, is will they treat this much the same way the blue bombers will in terms of preparing for their West semifinal? Obviously they, they play, you know, nine days later, or as the blue bombers get a juicy, you know, 12 days off. Yeah, I think the Stamps are more would be more likely to uh, to play their starters maybe a little more. Like Calgary, it's it's not the same thing. It's not the same. But if Calgary loses its starting quarterback, they're in a ton of trouble, right? Just like the Bombers would be if they lost Zach Kolaris. Now, Jake Mayer and Kolaris are not equivalent starting quarterbacks in my mind, but the same thing applies in that case. So they're going to have to be careful as well with their best players. Mike Rose on the defensive interior, uh, their interior offensive line. They've got a bunch of good running backs. I wonder if Reggie Bagleton plays. He's missed games recently with injury. He's their their best receiver. I feel like maybe just bubble wrap that guy. One of those big Power 97 plastic balls that folks race in at the Bomber <laughs> games. Just pop them in one of those, whatever the, the Calgary equivalent is. The CHQR big plastic bubble. And, and leave him to the side. Uh, Cam Judge probably shouldn't play uh, because that guy is flying. And his his ability to, the way he's been able to swing games this season, I want that guy at full speed. I want Micah Awe at full speed, their middle linebacker. So I, I think they have more need to play their guys just because they want to be maximum sharp and they've had some real rough patches this season. Uh, but, uh, you know, whatever makes them best ready to go back into BC and stomp out the BC Lions uh, is is what they're going to uh, attack with. Do you think the Stamps have a chance, Derek, in that semifinal going into BC? I mean, they, they've won a, a big chunk of games down the stretch here. They've now made the playoffs 18 straight years. I suspect they're determined to make some noise. Are they capable? Well, let's let's look at it this way. Calgary played a must-win game against BC playing a must-win game, and Calgary was up 17-3 to at halftime when BC said, okay, now we're pulling our starting quarterback and we're going to fold the tent a little bit. So from that, and then they rolled on. There was, it was significantly the, the Lions starters plus quarterback Dane Evans, and Calgary rolled them uh, 41-16. So I look at that and go, well, for... For a good portion, BC was trying to win that game, and Calgary was lumping them. So I take from that, absolutely, they have a chance. I think BC's the favorite. I haven't seen a, a line yet, but I think BC's a, a, you know, a decent favorite in that game. But um, Calgary absolutely has a chance. A couple of wins to end the season. I, uh, I, They could be a good spoiler, let's say that. We know it was a good weekend for Winnipeg sports teams this past weekend. Bombers with their big win, 45-25. Did I get that 
score right? I didn't even write it down. I'm going off the top of my 45-25, head. 45-25, yeah. Yeah, 45-25 over the Elks and then the Jets with a big comeback victory to seal the Edmonton sweep, 3-2 in overtime. The Moose won 8-2 Saturday night against Iowa. We even had uh, some good news in the curling world, but for me, the fact that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for the second consecutive oh, no. season ended things on a seven-game slide, two years in a row, you go 0 for 7 uh, to end up your season. We know now uh, in the light of day that uh, Craig Dickinson has been relieved of his duties as, as head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, but it's been a little bit of a fall of fall from grace for the team that, that tries to compare itself to the Winnipeg Football Club in terms of being the the flagship franchise in this league. Yeah, it, it's been a rough couple of years. The the overriding thing that I take away from from the Riders is what can you possibly do when you have injuries? Like this, there there's not many sports where you know what you can lose your starting quarterback. The guy who at the start of the season I would argue was the second best starting quarterback in the CFL, maybe third. Uh, in Trevor Harris, they lost him super early. He was never able to make it back. What can you What can you actually expect of a team in that situation? And so when I look at six and twelve, I go, okay, with Trevor Harris, they're nine and nine. Okay, then that might have been enough to to get uh, the coach resigned, though probably not with what was some things that were going on there. But you lose your best you lose your best offensive player. You lose your best defensive player, Anthony Lanier, for significant sums of time during the the season that guy people are are forgetting how monstrous Anthony Lanier was last season both rushing from the interior and the edge that losing him for a lot of time with injury is is just it's too much to overcome and then on the coach is interesting because you can only cook with the ingredients you're brought right and when it felt like no free agent other than Trevor Harris wanted to go to Sask this last offseason I I'm not sure what you expected from the head coach. Like their their big free agent signing, Darrell Walker had three targets and played one game for them. Uh, okay, uh, Sean Bain turned out to be a great pick, and then guys who were already there, you know, took a step forward. Samuel Amelis is, you know, one of the best young Canadian receivers based on off of this season. Uh, but if you don't have an offensive line, you're not going to have any success at all, especially with a young quarterback. So I, I don't know what the actual expectation could have been when you suffer those injuries and you're dealt, you know, the not amazing roster you've been dealt. But ultimately, it's 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 a move that kind of had to be made for Sask. Keep it, what did you make of keeping the GM, though, GMAC? That's exactly where I was about to go. You, so you talk about cooking with the ingredients that uh, your partner brings home from the store. Well, Jeremy O'Day is the individual in charge of that. And, well, you just sort of outline the fact that we knew last year that the offensive line was a concern for Saskatchewan. We knew the year before that it was a concern. And so, yeah, did they pick up some interesting pieces and have they developed and and maybe brought along some interesting Canadian guys in particular and in uh, Keen Schaefer-Baker and then now, of course, young Emilis and what he's able to do with a 1,000-yard season. But, uh, yeah, Jeremy O'Day somehow gets a contract extension out of that, like, Based on the conversation that you just had and the points that you just made, I'm going, well, maybe it's the coach that should be sticking around and the GM that should be moving on. 
Yeah, it, it was it was interesting to see uh, Craig Reynolds is the president and CEO of the Riders. He said, "Well, Jeremy O'Day's you know had some great success in the draft, and I while I think that there's some success in the draft." Uh, Amelis was a first-round pick. He really blossomed the season. Three touchdowns in that first game against the Bombers. He looked really good. But, uh, I mean, apart from that, you've got a depth offensive lineman. Uh, Jaden Dalkey might be your starting safety going forward. That's nice, and you get him in the sixth round. But you look at uh, 2020 and 2021, and you go, okay, well, who did they get from that year? Okay, depth offensive lineman. Their first-round pick from 2020 is already retired. The guy they essentially spent a third round pick in 2020 has already retired. That whole that whole 2020 draft is is zero additions except for fourth round Key and Schaefer Baker. And you could make the argument that okay, well, Schaefer Baker as an elite Canadian receiver is is good enough for a single draft. And I get that, but you still need to fill out your roster. So I don't necessarily agree with that. The 2021 draft, Terrell Jan is already retired. Bruno LaBelle is a fullback who played I'm just going to guess 200 snaps this year. Chim and Kinda, Bandy, Depth, Watson, Depth. Like they, there was a couple of years that were dry, except for Key and Schaefer Baker. So, I I think it was perhaps overemphasized how how good a job Jo had done in the draft. Just just because um, you have to, I suspect in that spot you have to make a you have to make some sort of statement. Their free agency though was just man, it was. Sean Bain was a depth receiver. He, he ended up with a thousand yards. That's fine. Is he a game breaker? No, but uh, you know, in a future one, in a future roster, he might be a good tooth. He'd be it looks like he'd be a great three. Uh, so I I don't know where they go with that going forward. But there was no offensive line help at all. Um, the there was the Evan Johnson ended up in a depth role. He was a guy who was a highly touted free agent pickup a couple of years ago. The the Saskatchewan guy coming home after a great start to his career in Ottawa, off the map, tackles, massive trouble. The tackles they ran out in 2021, I don't know how, I don't know how a professional, you know, talent evaluator put those guys out there for for the entire season. It was it was crazy watching. And yeah, the defense wasn't enough to carry them. Uh ultimately it's tough to evaluate because of the Trevor Harris situation, but so I'm curious to see what the what they do at quarterback going forward because um, I had the stat I forget who I po- popped it out with, but three quarterbacks threw for more than 20 touchdowns this season in the CFL. That's it. And I think it's four through 15 or more. This was not mm-hmm. a banner year for quarterbacks, uh, elite quarterbacks or quarterback depth in the Canadian Football League at all. Well, uh, you know, we'll have lots of time to take a look at the off-season moves and and possibilities for some of the other teams in the CFL. But uh, Chris Jones, presuming or assuming, whatever adjective fits there, uh, he's back. Has said already that he's not anticipating making a ton of personnel changes. That's interesting for a team that finishes four and. 14, but uh, we'll, we'll dissect that a little bit later. We do have to talk about the homegrown talent. Mm. Nick Dembski, Brady Oliveira, they become the first, and this is just, you know, this is ridiculous. Never mind are they the first two Canadians, but they're from the same city and went to the same high school at different times, Oak Park High School, and you have Nick Dembski over 1,000 yards receiving, Brady Oliveira well over 1,000 yards rushing. In fact, he's on the cusp of 2,000 combined yards this year. That's the first time ever in the history of the Canadian Football League, almost hard to imagine that the same team 
could have a Canadian get a thousand rushing, a thousand yards receiving, and the Blue Bombers do it. And it couldn't be more perfect than it for it to be those two guys. Yeah, absolutely. the The only way to improve on it in the future is if they eventually come from the same embryo, right? Like that's the, that's it. Teammates, uh, Winnipeg, same high school, just incredible. <laughs> um, and and I mean the thing that kind of keeps us from from having had this before is teams, other teams don't use Canadian running backs, and and just as I look at it more and study it more, I just go, I just wonder why that's the case. Like, you and I have talked a, a bit on the podcast about what I believe, you know, running backs in the run game are important in the CFL. And I go, why aren't there more Canadians doing this where you could get a kid from college? Uh, just talking about Saskatchewan, like they have a, a kid they drafted later in 20, in the 23 draft, Thomas Bertrand Houdon, who, who ran out there and I, I, he's a fourth round pick. And when you watched him run in games against the Bombers, he went, oh yeah, Mike O'Shea would love this guy. He's trying to kill people. He's trying to absolutely destroy anybody in his way. Look at him go. I just, I just, you could take Canadians, you could bang, drop them in there, and one, Canadians become stars in this league because you know we love our running backs, and two, they're good at it, and three, it doesn't make much difference. So let's go, let's go. So the the fact that the Bombers have been able to, I mean, they got Andrew Harrison free agency, but then they committed to, okay, well, here's Johnny Augustine, here is uh, Brady Oliveira in the draft. Uh, we can find great Canadians to play this position. Let's do it. And, and I hope they keep going with that forever uh, because it's, it's such a big, it's such a big plus. It's, it, there's a real feeling of warmth around Canadians at running back. Oh, absolutely. And you know, you, you make a great point in terms of who goes in and, and the interchangeability and the statistics and the numbers would back you up in terms of, you know, who's getting how many yards per rush and per touch and all sorts of things. You could really justify playing a Canadian in that spot. And that's a discussion we can have another time, but Talk mm-hmm. about, you mentioned Andrew Harris, and we know the relationship that Brady and Nick both had with Andrew and the, and the Three Oak Park guys and, and the storyline that was in particular going into, into 2019 and then 2021. But the whole idea that the Bombers went the way they did back in 16 when they brought, 2016, right? I'm doing this off the top of my head. When they bring, yeah. when they bring Andrew Harris in to be their lead back, because you're going with a starter to begin with, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's always been my understanding that if you're going to commit to having a starting running back that may or may not play all 18 games, you need to have Canadian backups. Otherwise, it's going to play and wreak havoc with the ratio. And so the Blue Bombers, maybe by hook or crook, accident or on purpose, had this commitment to Andrew Harris and... Therefore, also went the Johnny Augustine, the Brady Oliveira route. Are they connected? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You, you need. You can do the bounce around to go to go from a Canadian to an American if you're if you're just running out the regular eight Canadians. But it's it's best to then have Canadian depth, right? That that first year, the Bombers uh, when they bring in Andrew Harris. Timothy Flanders was was another running back in American, but they also had Pascal Lachard on the roster, and he would play. You know, he would be on the roster a bunch, and you go, okay, well, there's, there's, you just need that extra guy. And oh, by the way, if that extra guy happens to be super effective at running the football, 
That's great. Other teams will use Canadians. Hamilton in the past few seasons has tried to, has used Sean Thomas Erlington, but spelled him with an American. And they would maybe like to run out the American uh, before this year. It was Don Jackson, but then they get caught in the, in the, in a ratio thing and they go, well, Don, you can't play this week, even though we, we went and got you in free agency because we have to juggle the roster in some fashion. But the bombers kind of get over that by one, having Canadian depth and two, using more Canadians than they have to. They were at least eight Canadians and not the nationalized American Canadian player like the the veteran American Canadian player as in the confusing world of the CFL's roster requirements they legit started at least 8 Canadians in every single game so they had no problems with that if they found an American running back uh, Greg McCray for example bang pop him in there but yeah it it does require getting Canadian depth and so uh it would be great if you know Canadian kids it's you know NCAA schools and U sports schools and oh, you know what there maybe there is a spot for me in the Canadian Football League, and maybe I can be a starter, and maybe I can get a great offensive situation, and and I can immediately flourish in the Canadian Football League. It wasn't necessarily immediate for Brady, but oh man, it was he. Oh god, he was so good this year. Oh my gosh. I'm Skylar Peters. Welcome into the film room. For this one, I wanted to go almost as far back as the capabilities of the technology at this radio station would allow me. A time when none of us knew what it was like to experience IG Field and hear a chorus of 33,500 synchronized fans. But we knew Canadin Stadium well, and the beer snake was out in full force. The 2012 season didn't contain the start to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were hoping for. First-year head coach Paul Lapolis had to endure four straight road games to begin the season, and his club came up empty in all of them. So even with the pressure of a winless first month hanging over their heads, it was a sigh of relief to return to the friendly confines in St. James on July 26, 2012. The Bombers were only two weeks removed from a 42-10 thumping at the hands of this Edmonton team and fell into a 4-1 hole early. Then it was compounded by a Winnipeg mistake. Let's see if they get a conversion, and that one is intercepted. Donovan Alexander, the safety, comes up with that again. Absolutely no one picking up the blitz, and Alex Brink got crushed in the back as he throws, leading to the easy pick. And Edmonton would make good on the third turnover of the half by Winnipeg. Giles sets up, looks deep, has an open man. Touchdown, Kerry Coke. Things looked even bleaker as Edmonton added another field goal and with just seven seconds left until half, led 14-4. The Bombers were putting together a drive to end the first half, though, when they took a crucial holding call that set them back 10 yards. It frustrated the head coach. Uh, with how much time is on the clock, if the ball was at the 35-yard line, we probably would have just ran the ball to see what we got. And then once the ball was put at the 45-yard line, I said, let's try, to, let's try to hit two plays. And we hit the first one to get good yardage. Just seven seconds to go into the wind, so, so a 48-yard field goal try was no bueno. Line, then seconds, a spark so that set Canadian Stadium ablaze. Steps up. Now, see, they're gonna, now he's just going to fire it into the end zone and hope that somebody can... Oh, there's... It was caught for a touchdown. Matthews caught it for a touchdown. Well, I was focused. 
you know, I wanted to, I wanted to have the man on my back and, um, you know, use my body to come down with the ball. You know, I was fortunate enough to come down with it, and um, like I said, it was a great call and a great throw. You know, obviously Alex got good protection and made a play and threw it up to the big guy. So Bomber fans headed for the concessions, eager to refuel as their team trotted into the locker room down only three feeling a lot better about themselves after that Matthews catch. But just two minutes and 56 seconds into the second half, another roadblock. Back to pass, and he's going long. Oh, he's got stamps all alone at the 15-yard line, and he's into the end zone for an Edmonton touchdown. Fred Stamps. Winnipeg back in that 10-point hole, but lots of ball left to play. Then the most improbable of breaks. And the punt is blocked. Renault's punt is blocked. And it's bouncing around. The Bombers have it. But, and there's no flags on the play. I think the ball hit an Edmonton player and then into the arms of a Blue Bomber. And they've got the ball. Jeremy McGee, they've got the ball at the Edmonton 25-yard line. When you get a bounce like that, you'd better make Brent good on hands it. hands off. Simpson left side. Touchdown! Blue Bombers! And soon would come a transfer of energy at Canadian Stadium. The fans were looking for their team to provide a spark for most of the game until this point. And then suddenly, the team would start riding that way. At the end of the game, the fans took over. They couldn't hear. We really couldn't hear, so we were trying to move on the fly. But at the beginning, I mean, we were just trying to keep them into the game and let them know that it's a long game. It's a, it was a long, a long, full game, so they didn't, I didn't want them to get down and get quiet. The hard work of Jonathan Hefney, frequently one of those players looking towards the stands to amp up supporters, worked. The Bombers would take their first lead in the 54th minute on a Justin Polardi field goal. But lots of time left for Steven Giles and company to answer until a rookie defensive lineman from Acadia made a play. I would Charles expect here. a run play here. Or a swing to him in the flat. Oh, Giles quarterback. Gonna run the quarterback draw. He's down to the 35. Fumbles! And the Bombers recover at their 29-yard line. The one thing Stephen Giles could not do, he has done. He's turned the ball over. Jake Thomas. You'll hear him on the field in just a few minutes. But 11-plus years ago, he was a fresh-faced 22-year-old looking to make an impact. Everyone in the room recognized the significance of that moment. Giles made a move on me. I tripped him up. And then by the time I turned around and looked, I seen Jake Thomas floating to the ball. And I seen him punch him out. And I seen J.J. pick it up. It was a big play. Coach was always talking about getting, getting off the spot and running to the ball. And for a Bombers team that had endured a month of winless football to start this season, a chance to catch their breath. Oh, they were great. I mean, they were loud, and I think there was two time counts because of it. Um, so, yeah, the fans were excellent tonight, and, and, and hats off to them for, you know, uh, we've been on the road and we struggled a little bit. For them to come out full force was awesome. That win just made, you know, made us, you know, even hungrier, to be honest with you. No favors were done for the Bombers last night in Vancouver, and for this team today, a win means everything. And now we prepare our ears and hearts for the West Division crown lies at the end of these next 60 minutes of football. Okay, so uh, this segues into the next conversation, and you probably know where I'm going. Uh, the voting. I for- do. Let me get a mouthful of oatmeal to prep for this. <laughs> okay, you get some oatmeal. <laughs> because you know the conversation that's been had over the last couple of weeks in particular. Is Brady 
Oliveira, should Brady Oliveira be the Blue Bomber nominee for most outstanding player? And we know how Doug Brown feels. I've been pretty clear about how I feel. We're just going to press play here on a conversation we had with Milt Stiegel on Breakfast with the Bombers just this morning on that very question. Okay, so if you had to make your vote now, who would you pick for most outstanding player in the league, Milt? Uh, it, 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 from the West is going to be Brady Oliveira. From the East is going to be Thad Kelly. And because he steps on the field and the quarterback is the most important oh. position and all he does is win, I got to go with Chad Kelly. Oh, I Milton. I, I know, I know, I know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to get my, my card taken away from me for a day, but it has to be Chad Kelly because all he does is win. What he's done this year and his first year starting as a quarterback in the CFL has been amazing. What Brady Oliveira, what he's doing is amazing, but I got to go with Chad Kelly. I got to go with Chad Kelly. So, DT, uh, Milt Stiegel, sort of agreeing with Doug Brown, myself, and others, says mm. Chad Kelly will ultimately win the MOP of the league, but says Brady should be the nominee out of the West. Did you get a vote on this, first of all? I did get a vote on this. Have you placed said vote? I think they were due on Sunday, Yeah. Yeah, they were due Sunday by 4 o'clock our time. So you did your homework. You submitted your vote on time. I'm not asking you to tell us who you voted for. But who should whose name should we be seeing when, when the results are announced? Uh, I thought about it a ton. Uh, and Brady was so fantastic this season. And, um, man, he, it was such a leap for him over last year to this year. And in the end, I voted for Zach Kolaris as the most outstanding player in the Canadian Football League, or on the Bombers. I'll we'll see how it goes from here. Who other teams put up? But I would vote for Zach to win the West, and then I'll really dive into Zach versus uh, Chad Kelly. Presumably, will win the East. Um, I think Brady's a fantastic pick. I think Brady's a, a tremendous pick. At this moment, he's on fourteen hundred ninety-eight rushing yards and twenty yards shy of two thousand from scrimmage. That's those are phenomenal numbers um, for Oliveira. I just I think Kolaris had a, had a, an amazing season though. Like this is this is the part that for me has been missed, and I I called it so very long ago. I said I just said watch out for voter fatigue, and people, well that's that is no it's not going to happen. It's uh, Zach's terrible. I'm like people don't want to vote for Zach three years in a row. Did you know, Greg Mackling, that through uh, 17 games, Zach Kalaro set a career high in passing yards? Yes. Yeah, uh, and somehow he's had a bad season. Uh, did you know Zach Kalaro leads the league in touchdown passes? I'm aware. Uh, did you know he is uh, number three to Cody Fajardo and Dustin Crum in completion percentage, ahead of guys like, oh, say, Chad Kelly? I did not know that. Did you know... He posted the second highest touchdown percentage, percentage of his passes that were touchdowns. Uh, I'm just going to say in the last 20 years because there, it gets tough going back further in the Canadian Football League. But second highest only to himself from last season. I'm aware because you've made it very blatantly aware and you've hammered that statistic over my head for about uh, 19 days now. Did you know that Zach Kolaris was over 10 yards per attempt? It was number two in the league this year because Chad Kelly had a great year. But uh, the only guys to achieve that fat, that stat are 2022 Nathan Rourke, who I think we can all agree He's was in the, the NFL MOP now. level play. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he could have been the MOP had he played sure. more. He would have been. Last he, he 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 would yeah. have been if 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 he had done in those games he missed what he'd done in the games he'd played for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the other one was 2016 Trevor Harris, who didn't play a ton of. He played. I think he threw 330 passes that year, but he was moving the ball in that Ottawa offense in 16. And I go, I look at this and I go, well, his numbers are are better than last year. And oh, by the way, few over turn, fewer turnover worthy plays. His interceptions and fumbles combined are fewer than he had last year. And I look at all of that and go. Why do you think he's not good enough to be the most outstanding he player is. in the Canadian football The point league? is, he is, and there's no doubt about that. We uh, had the conversation on the pregame show on Saturday, important versus, uh, what, were the, what were the words we used? Important Outstanding versus valuable. Yeah, valuable versus outstanding, and, and sometimes that gets... Uh, convoluted as well. No, you know what? I think either guy is a, is a great choice. I just love where Brady has come from. I love where he's going. And he, as you say, either individual is is worthy of the nomination. Either individual will be worthy of of representing the West. I think it's just so hilarious that as we have this discussion where you can validate the value and what Zach Kolaros has done this year versus other years. And now you've got Brady Oliveira, who's not only now come up and replaced Andrew Harris, he's maybe surpassing him in a variety of different fashions and abilities and the way he contributes to the offense with all due respect to Andrew Harris and what he did for this franchise. But at the same time, we're having the conversation. The Bombers at this point last year had the same amount of losses as they have this year. And we're talking about the Bombers being not nearly as impressive as they were last year, right? Like it's, it's, we're tired. People are tired, which is, it's remarkable. I want none of this to be taken as Brady was not phenomenal this season because Brady Oliveira was phenomenal this season. Um, while it, I mean, it's the MOP is not a legacy award. It's also not a most improved player award. That's a right? good point. So I, I uh, Brady from last year to this year has taken, I'm trying to think of CFL wide, the maybe the most, the toughest jump because he went from good running back to, the running back in the Canadian Football League, right? That's tougher than a player who was on the map to being very good. I think it's it's a harder jump. Um, so I, I just want that to be the case. There's a, there's a lot of love for Brady, and um, I just I was expecting voter apathy toward Kalaros, and I've I've seen it all the way through because people are saying, well, he's just he's just caught, he's a quarterback in a good situation in Winnipeg. Well, he is a quarterback in a good situation, but he's an elite quarterback in a good situation in Winnipeg. And good may not even describe it, but the receivers and the protection and the running game that they have to support him when things aren't going well for Zach. I Well, and that's why these guys it, say these are team awards. Not to cut off what you're saying here, DT, but don't listen to us. You don't have to listen to us about about what these awards represent. Yes, they're quote unquote individual awards, but at the at the at at the ceremony at the awards in Hamilton, each and every player who receives one of these quote unquote individual awards will not accept it that way. They insist this is a team award. I just happen to be here on behalf and representing the success of my team, and it's very rare. Wow. That, that, that you hear anything different. Very true. 
Yeah, I mean, very true. Zach Kolaris wins it last year. His team happened to be 15-3. and three. Uh, Zach Kolaris wins it in 2021. Forgive me, I don't have the Bombers record on my head. The Bombers were 11-3 and three in 2021. Brandon Banks won it 19. His team was 15-3. and three. Bo Levi Mitchell won it in 2018. The Calgary Stampeders that year were 13-5, and five, best record in the CFL. You're, you're right in that we... And this year, you could it could be Chad Kelly, though his numbers are, man, probably some of the lowest numbers we would have seen from an MOP. He's the quarterback of the best record team in the Canadian Football League and maybe the best team in the Canadian Football League. So you're 100% right in that this is an award that goes to, uh, it, it does go to a team through its best player. Every single time. Every single time. So uh, anyway, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be something that keeps us entertained uh, all of this week, probably into next week as we figure out who the Bombers will meet November 11th at IG Field. Uh, four straight sellouts to end the regular right. season for the Blue Bombers. Like, I understand it's not a 60,000-seat stadium, but come on. For this franchise to do what it's doing on the field and off the field is, I can tell you, as a fan, 10 years ago, when they moved into that stadium, the on-field product was an absolute disaster. And to have turned things around in six, seven years and to become this franchise that does you know things the right way, I'm not going to say they do everything the right way, but you can't argue with the on-field success and now the marketing and the amount of people that this team draws. And it's not just people. It's not just people in the seats, right, Derek? It's fans mm -hmm. in the seats. And they're all wearing merchandise. And they're, they're like, they're all all in on this team. It's something, it's, it's a sort of a cultural phenomenon that's taken place in the last five, six years in Winnipeg. We talked about it in the pregame show ahead of the Edmonton game, and, and I just said to, uh, it was a Doug Brown and Ed Tate segment, and I just said, name somebody who deserves credit for the Bombers having four straight sellouts. And uh, my, my point in doing it that way, um, Doug had said Wade Brown, Wade Miller, excuse me, uh, Ed had said uh, Carol, uh, Carol Barrett, and I would said Mike O'Shea, and there were 50 more people we could have chosen. I'm just pulling out a number there, but... Um, Winning games isn't enough. Winning games is fantastic, and you're going to get heat when you go to three and potentially four straight Grey Cups. But we've seen in other spots, winning isn't enough. you got to make me want to come. and you have, It has to be cool. Winning helps, but you know what also helps is, well, I can get thrown off a mechanical bull. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Oh, I can have a $5 beer before the game. Okay, well, that sounds pretty good. Oh, it's a, it's a little bit of a party atmosphere. Okay. Oh, my gosh. My my boyfriend can have a $35 bag of taco meat in a bag of Ariba chips. Hello. <laughs> let's go. He would love that, right? You have to – you can't just put a sport on, I don't think, these days. You have to make – it has to be entertainment. You, you, there has to be – a welcoming atmosphere that I that I want to be a part of, and just I, I can't even think the number of people that that have gone to incredible lengths over the last decade to make that possible. Uh, it's we named three, and uh, if I if I had more information, I probably could have let, read off a list of of twenty five more because it's it's not it's not just a head coach who wins football games. It's not just that they traded for Zach Kalaris. It's an entire organization that goes, you know what, we need to we need to deliver and we need to 
We have some challenges uh, when we started, but now look at what we have now. Look at look at the, look at four hundred people hanging out on the field after the game. Uh, it's it's just it's fantastic, and it, I mean, congratulations to the folks in the Blue Bomber organization from the the lowest to the highest. It's it's a party there. Well, you know, and I know you got a text message. You even read it out on the air. You know, uh, on the broadcast, you guys are homers and blah 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 blah. Listen, <laughs> uh, listen. I can't speak for you, but I, I'll speak for myself. I publicly divorced myself from the Blue Bombers almost a decade ago. I was a season ticket holder. I was on the radio part time here at six eighty CJOB, and I was on Charles Adler's program. I said, "I'm done." I'm done. The new stadium had opened and I had season tickets. There were four of us that went to the games together. You know, uh, it was an hour and a half to get there. You're there for three hours, an hour and a half to get like, It's a six hour engagement. And I just said, my time is worth more than this. You're not giving me anything on the field in terms of performance. You don't seem to be interested in getting any better because I know there are better players than your signing. And so I just said, I'm done. Until you make winning a commitment, I'm done. And so you can say what you want about homerism or, or you know, jumping on the bandwagon or pulling or leading the bandwagon. I don't think that's the case. The Blue Bombers have earned this. I know they've earned it from me. They've earned it from a lot of my friends who just said, you know what? Prove it to me because I've been loyal for decades, right? They went 29 years without a Grey Cup. Well, yeah, were there some rough spots in terms of attendance? And were there some rough spots in terms of financials for the Blue Bombers? Yeah. But guess what? The Saskatchewan Rough Riders had a telethon to save that franchise once upon a time as well. And so yep. here we are in 2023 and a commitment to Canadian talent, a commitment to homegrown talent, a respect for the fans, players who interact with the fans that just don't, you know, yeah, uh, I'm a football player that plays football in Winnipeg. No, 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 no. Can't speak for all the guys, but we could list. We don't have enough fingers and toes to lift the pl- list the players that live, eat, and breathe Winnipeg Blue Bomber football and are a part of this community. And the turnaround on that front at all uh, uh, alone, Derek, I could handle four and fourteen with a team yeah. that is working to do what the Blue Bombers do. And if it's not coming together, that's fine. But at least they were going about it, and eventually it it it, it took. It took us into this into this position that they're in now. But you know what? It all started somewhere, and they started from... They had less than nothing, in my opinion. And here they are. I remember the, the, the debacle that was the transition of stadiums. And anybody who was around, remember, oh, we're going to be in the new state. Ah, you know what? We're spending the whole year at Canada Inns. Mm-hmm. We're, we're what? Why? I don't want to. I'm tired of peeing in this giant trough. Can I? Can we have a real stadium? The disrespect. Winnipeg, the disrespect for the fans and the intelligence of the fans in that era it, was was ludicrous. Right, the 2011 wow. uh, East final was supposed to be the final game at Winnipeg Stadium, Canadian Stadium, whatever you'd like to call it. And I can remember taking my kids out to see the stadium under construction, and the Bombers had promised we're going to be in there you know, in time for the start of 2012. Well, you knew Mm -hmm. that wasn't happening. And it it just cascaded and got worse from there. 
And you know what? I, I could you know what? I could go on an hour long diatribe. I'm not gonna do that. And just to say that, you know, when you hear us talking positively and in these glowing terms, it hasn't always been this way. Plain and simple. And I can only speak for myself, but you're never going to get me to say something that I don't want to say. I'm not going to toot the horn on behalf of individuals that don't deserve the recognition. And this franchise and this team has earned back my loyalty and my trust as a fan. And I, this, that's somebody that, that was done, that was done 10 years ago. That's uh, knowing you now. That is a remarkable story to uh, to hear, and and great on the bombers for for changing things, uh, for getting things back. Uh, this is the one thing that I'll I'll kind of always go to. Uh, Winnipeg opens the stadium, and then Saskatchewan opens its stadium a few years later, and it was it was done exactly right. It was hey, we've cast it out pretty far. We're going to open 2017. They open in 2017, and at that time, I was I was watching from afar. I'm like, oh, that's a that's that's got to make bomber fans feel a little worse. Uh, us Winnipeggers feel a little worse about this. So Saskatchewan did theirs better, and then now think of where the two organizations are. Winnipeg is riding high, and Sask is. Why did we not fire everybody? Right? It's uh, it's it's amazing how far they've come in a, in a short period of time. Well, in in a not a short period of time, but in, in this period of time. Yeah, and yeah, and, and just kudos to the corporate community and to the season ticket holders who, you know, eventually realized what was going on here. And uh, there are lots of names that could be dropped here. Now, that being said, <laughs> they lose in the West Final at home on November 11th, and there are going to be people, you know, because I think the fan base is at that point now where, you know, um, we demand excellence it's that los angeles las vegas oakland raider thing right just win baby and mm -hmm. do it in a certain fashion and you've got us you know they've got that uh, bomber for life promotion thing going on like when you see the age of the fans in the stands at ig field it is not just all of us guys in our 50s. There are young kids there. There are women there. There are people with their kids there. And everybody has Blue Bomber merchandise on. It is a sight to behold. It, like, if, if you're listening to this podcast, I understand that you probably go to the games anyway. But if you've not been or you know somebody that hasn't been, do them a favor and take them to a game because I think they'll be hooked. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It's... uh it's it's an incredibly deafening atmosphere, and you can you can just have a variety of times, whatever kind of time you want to have. You want the party section, you want the kids section, you want the family section. You want to just hang out with your friends. Uh, you want to sit in your seats and watch football. You want to study and and uh, you know analyze the the micro expressions of the head coach Mike O'Shea. You you can do that. It's uh, yeah, it's 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 a great time and. It's uh, the thing you mentioned about the West final, if they lose the West final, it takes me back to the Zach Kolaros uh, conversation and the MLP conversation. You set expectations, right? We expect Zach Kolaros to be the best quarterback in the league. So when he is, you know, the best or second best quarterback in the league, we're like, no, ho-hum. When, when, uh, when you go to three straight Grey Cups, just going to the West final might, might not be enough. Just hosting the West final might not be enough, even if you lose by the the wackiest of bounces in an incredible football game 
we're we're gonna have some hard feelings about that. Like, well, we should we deserve to be in Grey Cups, right? So it's uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. Whereas in it was seven years ago, it was can we just fire everybody and get a new coaching staff in here? It's yeah, it's it's incredible when you think of it, and and the fact that we might be in the midst of an all time great CFL run for a single team is is pretty pretty awe inspiring too. Let's just leave it there. We got uh, next week to set up things for whoever happens to be coming uh, to Winnipeg. The the Blue Bombers will have a week off and then we'll see what happens in Calgary. And uh, yeah, just lots left to talk about it, DT. And uh, when will we find out who the team nominees are for the individual awards? Quote unquote. So it'll individual yeah, awards. It'll come, it'll come out this week because I. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, our votes for West All-Stars and West Award nominees will be due after Saturday's games. So they'll be due by Sunday. So I suspect we'll know the team nominees middle of this week. DT, thanks for the work you do. We look forward to your call on Friday night, and then it all gets very, very real. The West Final, November 11th. And if you haven't already got your tickets, do not look at the forecast. The forecast doesn't matter. It was pretty cold here for the 2021 West Final, Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. The Blue Bombers, six first-half turnovers. They managed to win that game. I don't think there's anybody in that stadium who regrets going to that game. Yeah, exactly. This, This may be a lie, but I've seen... Sunny and 17 degrees for November 11th. I'm just saying. (laughs) Uh, Put it in the bank. Maybe not. DT, thanks, brother. Thanks. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coaches Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it, and listen to it at your leisure. You can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber Podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you for spending some time with us. 